0: Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're reviewing Smitten Kitchen's Classic Peach Pie and introducing a tray baked plum and berry meringue from one of our favorite British obsessions, Waitrose. We'll also step into the gadget garage, or is it the language lab, to discuss some new discoveries related to our stone fruits. So grab some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Andrea, my family and I were recently on the Sunshine Coast in British Columbia and we did a hike, about a five-mile hike, in the Skookumchuck Narrows Provincial Park. Have you heard of it? (laughs) Quite a title.
0: I've heard of the Sunshine Coast. That has been one of our bucket list destinations for our summertime bike ride, so I'm hoping to explore that one of these years here soon. I haven't heard of that particular place you're talking about, but I've seen it written before, so I'm really happy to hear how it's pronounced correctly.
1: Yeah, Skookumchuck, it's Salish for fast waters, and it's about a five-mile hike to see this incredible natural phenomenon where the water, the tidal water, ocean water, comes through this very narrow inlet, and some people say it's the fastest tidal rapids in the world. So it looks like a river. It looks like a raging river, like class five rapids, but it's actually the ocean. And Andrea, I hope that you do get a chance, because although I love the grandeur, Of Mother Nature, I also love the fact that the Skookumchuck Bakery sells massive cinnamon rolls the size of your head (laughs) that I highly recommend.
0: Well, and what better way to reward yourself after a five-mile nature hike? I mean,
1: what an amazing business plan. (laughs) They were so delicious, and they even have some to go. You can get them frozen. It's a seasonal operation. I cannot tell you enough. Stop there. If you are in that provincial park, if you are close to that on the Sunshine Coast, they're fabulous. They have a lot of other things as well, but they're really known for their cinnamon rolls. So just wanted to give a shout out to the good folks at that bakery there for providing some needed sustenance
0: after, you know, a really arduous hike. Quick question. Did you know that was going to be there? Were you able to tempt the children by prompting? Promising them that cinnamon roll, or was it something you just sort of stumbled upon at the end of your hike?
1: Yeah. So my husband had been there before and had kind of regaled us with tales about these cinnamon rolls. And okay, the good and the bad is that the kids loved it. It was a, it was a you know complete kind of carrot on a stick for them for doing this hike. The bad news is we did about mm, a dozen other hikes during the course of our holiday, which did not feature cinnamon rolls. So <laughs> maybe have it at the end of your hiking, uh, you know, itinerary. Yeah, yeah. It tends to set the expectations rather high, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. Will there be cinnamon rolls on this hike? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, turning our attention from cinnamon rolls, that sounds fabulous, over to our recipe this week. It is the classic peach pie. This is from the Smitten Kitchen blog from Deb Perlman, and we introduced it last week back in episode 90, and we baked it up this week. So, Stefan, why don't you give us a review? How did your classic peach pie turn out?
1: Man, oh man, did I love this classic peach pie. It was probably the most beautiful pie I've made in kind of recent history. And I'm even putting the blueberry pie we made with the Pies and Prosecco people back in July up there really high. So Mm. this one was just gorgeous. We had talked when we introduced this pie about a few hurdles. Uh, The first was that she asks you to boil and blanch those peaches for ease of peeling. As we both talked about last episode, that had <laughs> not ever gone well for us before, and so I was going to make a really big X and maybe boil it for a little bit longer, and lo and behold, Andrea, I did not have any problems the skins slipped off right away it is an extra step I think it probably my notes say it took me about 20 minutes to do that but my peaches peeled beautifully so I was really happy I'm I'm kind of curious as to how that process went for you before we get further into the recipe
0: mine went better than expected you had given me the tip to make my x pretty large and so I did I did come up with a conclusion based on how it went that made me also feel a little bit better, which is, It really has nothing to do with me or my method. It has everything to do with the peach and the ripeness of the peach. Oh, is that right? Okay. Well, this is why this is my theory, is that you know I bought eight of the same types of peaches, and I put the same size X in all of them, and I boiled them in the same vat of water for the same amount of time and Mm -hmm. put them into the same cold bath, and six of them peeled beautifully. It took me two seconds. The skin slipped right off, and two of them, the skin clung so tightly to them that I had to end up using, you know, a combination of my hands and a vegetable peeler to get the skin off. So I really do think it just has to do with the ripeness. And you do want peaches that are ripe. Um, You know, I just kind of ran into some problems where you're, even if you have a whole bushel full of peaches, you can't always get ones that are completely ripe and ready to go. The stores have, you know, ones that I think need a few days. So I wasn't able to get all of my peaches to be perfectly ripe. Okay, okay. Well, good. I'm glad that we both overcame yes. our
1: blanching
0: our blanching fears. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I think I definitely had blanching okay. success. I still didn't um particularly love it. I don't you know, if someone said to me you could make this with peaches that you have to blanch or you can make it with nectarines and leave the skin on I might go with the nectarines
1: yeah and you know I just ran across another recipe it wasn't for a pie but it was for a peach dessert and they were they just said hey guess what you can you can leave the skins on Mm -hmm. I mean I think we've talked about that in regards to apples before that some recipes we just you know what you're gonna leave that on and it's gonna cook down and not be an issue so I say if you wanted to do this with this peach pie you know go for it as well I agree I really liked this crust as well, it was an all butter crust and I haven't done that in a while. I thought it was really easy to work with, I thought it came together really nicely. It was, you know, flour, a little bit of sugar, table salt, two sticks of butter, and then your water. I liked that, I thought it was a really nice counterpoint to the filling, which again, she says this is a classic peach pie, I don't have a lot of bells and whistles, it is a very Traditional, I would say, very old-fashioned type of flavors, and that really worked for me. So as I said last episode as well, I am unable to find the minute brand of tapioca, so I used her cornstarch or corn flour, as we call here. That worked really great. I used some cinnamon that I had gotten in Morocco, so it was just so delicious. Fancy. Now, this calls for a 9-inch pie tin. Andrea, I think I could have gone deep dish. Did you feel this was a little bit high for a 9-inch? Oh, I did a deep dish.
0: Yeah, You did? Okay. Yeah. When I saw how much peaches, and I actually weighed the peaches, so I was like, I am following the recipe. I'm using the amount she specified. Yes. And I know with apples, you get what I call the the slump, you know, that big slump as the apples bake down. And I thought, you know, peaches will probably do that as well, but I just didn't want a huge mess from using a, a shallow pie tin. So I went ahead and used my deep dish as well.
1: And I didn't necessarily have a mess. It just looked a little precarious to me when I had it all there. And But then it was too late. You know, I put it all in and I thought, nope, we're not transferring this. So mm-hmm, it did work. Mm-hmm. If, if I make it again, I would definitely go with a deep dish. Uh, I thought it was so beautiful. The lattice was exactly the right choice. We've talked last episode about just a lattice being such a nice choice for a fruit pie, especially. This was all corally, orangey, pink. It was hard, but I did follow her instructions to the letter and I did not eat this until it had cooled completely.
0: (laughs) Is there anything more tempting than a hot pie on your counter? I'm not sure. (laughs) I know. I know. That was really hard. That was a really tough part. (laughs) But
1: I'm so glad I did because it sliced up beautifully. It had set for me beautifully. It was, the flavors were dynamite. This, I was hoping for a TNT peach pie and I found it. So this is great big thumbs up from me and my family. We all loved it.
0: I had a similar experience in terms of making it. I thought the directions were great. I thought I, you know, I followed the directions and it was really easy to make once I got through that blanching. Yes. I cheated a little bit because... From our pies and Prosecco class, I just loved that crumble topping so much yeah uh-huh. I just de- yep. I decided to do the crumble topping so I bet that was amazing i I, I thought that added a little something I just for me I just love that crunch and so you know I, I'm not gonna get that with a lattice crust although I do agree with you you sent me a picture of your pie and I do think it was one of the most beautiful pies you've made so oh, thank that you that lattice crust is you know you just see those fresh peaches yeah I am able to find minute tapioca she suggests grinding it I have never done that before and I've never had a problem so I just went ahead and used it you know in the regular pearls just right straight out of the okay. box and that worked absolutely fine I didn't okay. notice any problem you know when I was eating the pie in terms of like seeing the pearls or anything like that. You do have to make sure that you cook it all the way through or else, you know, those pearls won't dissolve. But I made sure that I cooked it, so it was fine. Here's the thing about this pie. I love Deb Perlman's writing, and I, I love reading her intros and, you know, her stories about things. And the whole reason we picked this pie was because it was a classic peach pie. But just by the very nature of the fact that she said, I'm not going to enhance this with anything, and then sort of ran down the list of things you could do to enhance it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was you, even in the in the you know last week's episode, where you said something like, you know, it's just going to be a classic peach pie. It's not going to have you know brown butter or bourbon or just yes,
1: bourbon. Yes. As yes.
0: soon as you said all of those things, <laughs> I you know when I sat down and started eating this pie. I couldn't help but thinking, ooh, if this just had a touch of this or a touch of that. You know, it just struck me as a little one note. Okay. And that has nothing to do with this recipe. That's just my personal preference. I've mentioned this before. I'm kind of the same way with apple pies. Like, I like raw apples I like raw peaches or I should say fresh maybe instead of raw yes something about when you cook a fruit it sort of loses its zing to me it kind of loses its it's um, okay I don't know unique special flavor and so I just felt like it was a little eh, you know we each we each ate a slice in my family I put it in the fridge I never pulled it out again and eventually I sadly ended up tossing it.
1: Oh no, so you really were looking for more of some kind of
0: pizzazz. I think so. Yeah, I mean again there was nothing wrong with it. It just um it didn't it didn't sing to me. Perhaps yeah. that's uh, yeah. the best way to say it.
1: You know, as you were as you were saying that you could have added something maybe to the filling, mm-hmm. you know, this summer I made so much of Nigella Lawson's caramel uh, no churn ice cream yes. and I wonder that would be a really good maybe just some really flavorful ice cream too if you went with the pie as is but you could adorn it I mean I know you're not a huge cinnamon fan flavor but something like that some kind of
0: cream or some kind of ice cream to put on top might be a really good choice too. That's a good point I didn't put anything on top of this and I, I do like my pie with a scoop of ice cream or some cream on top so yeah. you know it might have something to do with that. I, I just think I just have a weird personal preference. I like fresh fruit. I like cooked fruit less than fresh fruit. Like I like fresh berries, and I like cooked berries equally. But something about with stone fruit or apples, for some reason, the cooked version is less appealing to me than the fresh version.
1: I think, too, um, one thing you needed to watch out for in this recipe, just going back to how she writes, her writing style is very fun, very rambling. Sometimes when you're in the middle of following a recipe, you want her to cut to the quick. (laughs) And so (laughs) If you can and if you, if this is important to you as well, I really encourage you to just kind of like put it into a Word document, cut it and paste it so it's just the steps and not kind of her thoughts on, you know, this ingredient or how to roll this out or why you should wait. And not to say, I mean, I love it. it's It's very entertaining to read. But when I'm actually doing the nuts and bolts of baking her things, I kind of want it just more step one, step two, step three like that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good suggestion. And I, I kind of run into that same thing, If you're especially if you're just trying to search for something at kind of a pivotal minute, yes. like, what do I need to reduce the oven temperature to? Or how long do I need to reset the timer for? That's when you want to just be able to go to that step and, and not kind of read all the um, dialogue around it. So yeah, good tip.
1: Well, moving on to our bake along this week, this is I'm really intrigued about Andrea. It comes to us from Waitrose, uh, Waitrose Food Magazine, of course. Waitrose is a grocery store here in England, our favorite. And this is a tray-baked plum berry meringue from Waitrose. And I have to apologize to Waitrose. That's what I'm calling it. The official title is tray-baked berry meringue. But since this is Stone Fruit Month and also because the key ingredient in this tray bake is plums, I I feel the need to uh, doctor up their
0: title and and call it a a plum uh, berry meringue. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that when the plums are uh, specified, whereas I feel like the other fruits, she says mixed berries, including blueberries, strawberries and raspberries and sort of the way that's written implies to me, hey, you know, if you couldn't find blueberries, you could put in blackberries or, you know, that sort of thing, whereas the plums is on a line by itself. Exactly.
1: Absolutely. So this is a tray bake. So by that, they kind of mean a large casserole dish. And you have the berries, as Andrea mentioned, I think whatever you could get your hands on uh, this time of year or you have a flavor preference for. And then the real key is about a six, uh, they say six, it's about 400 grams of plums. And you don't have to blanch or peel those, Andrea. So... (laughs) So excited. <laughs> Although, you know what? You know what? I, I, I think blanch may be one of my very favorite words. I love to say oh. it. Like plunge. Plunge the fruit into the blanching water.
0: <laughs> you know, plunge is one of those words. There's a word for these type of words. It's words that sound like what they do. And I can't remember the name of it. But plunge, yes. I yes. think, is one is of that
1: those. Onom- is that onomatopoeia? Is that what that is?
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, well. Right <laughs> Anyway, but I, I also when I hear Blanche, I think of the Golden Girls. Well, of course, <laughs> of course, <laughs> Blanche with an E. <laughs>
1: um, and anyway, to get back to food, uh, we are <laughs> back to our recipe. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got your
0: fruits. You've got some sugar and a vanilla pod. Uh, you could use a vanilla bean paste. So you uh, sort of lightly said you've got your sugar. But for me over here in the U.S., it says light muscovado sugar. So I wanted to make sure I knew what that was.
1: If you can't find that specifically, I think you could choose a Demerara sugar. I think you could also just use a brown sugar, maybe a light brown sugar, not a dark brown sugar.
0: Yeah, I thought because of the inclusion of the word light, I was guessing it might mean brown sugar because that's the only time I've sort of seen that specification.
1: Yeah, I think I would say it's somewhere between like a natural sugar, like a demerara sugar, and a brown sugar. So I would go ahead and substitute a light brown. Yeah, I think that's what you want there. So yes, you have your muscovado or your light brown sugar, uh, vanilla pod, and then... What you're going to do here, you know, up until that point, I think it sounds much just like a cobbler or a crisp filling. Mm -hmm. But instead of a crumbly oat topping, you are topping it with a meringue. And I am just so intrigued with this. I've eaten more meringues since I've moved to England than I ever have in my life. They're a big dessert here, dessert option. So you are topping it with this billowing meringue made of eggs. You could also do a vegan um, aquafaba here. Uh, you have heard us yes. talk about aquafaba a lot, which is a meringue made out of chickpea uh, liquid. And then you bake it all off. So uh, a nice, good meringue is going to be crispy on the outside and kind of marshmallowy on the inside with that stewed fruit underneath.
0: I have high hopes. I have high hopes, I have additional questions, and I have a point of jealousy. Uh- <laughs> Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. Stay so hold okay, on to your seat. Let's here. unpack it. Yeah. Um Point of jealousy, I'll start with. I just love, and obviously, this is also marketing, but it also just again reminds me of the difference between the US and the UK. For Waitrose, British blacktail medium free range egg whites. Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, not only do they specify, you know, the store brand, that's fine, everyone does that, but they're specifying the type of egg. Yes. The type of chicken, right? The British blacktail, that must be a, a chicken species that you have.
1: Indeed. And 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 they they do such an amazing job of labeling here. It's really fun. And I'm actually going to talk about it in um, the next episode or so when we're discussing varieties a little bit more. But it's fascinating to me because if my egg in the states is coming from a specific chicken i sure don't know what it is i probably should i would be interested to know uh, but it's it's great and and you'll see them labeled from the the tiny quail eggs to the ostrich eggs they all have the the species and the breed and also like the name of the farmer i love that as
0: well so oh, yeah.
1: i know i know yeah.
0: so I was just super jealous when I saw that, so I wanted to point that out. Then my questions were, um, the next ingredient that goes in the meringue is castor sugar. That's your granulated sugar. Okay, so just regular granulated sugar. And then corn flour. Corn starch. Okay, great. (laughs) You got it. It's so funny. In in a recipe with one, two, three, four, five, six, eight ingredients, I wasn't sure I understood four of them. So that's good to (laughs) know. Good, Good to know I could narrow that down. I also would really encourage readers to look at the picture on the Waitress site. You know, obviously we'll have a link to it so you can do that. Because this type of dessert is just very unfamiliar to me. I have never made something that is, as you said, sort of the typical filling of a cobbler but without any sort of bottom crust or top crust and just putting the meringue on top and I was just about to text you and say like I'm just not even sure I understand this when I saw the picture and then I thought oh okay here's what we're going for so listeners if you have questions make sure you take a look at the picture because I think you'll get a better sense of what we're aiming to do here so I have high hopes as well I'm pretty excited about it
1: And just a note on that meringue, too, uh, we had visited the Intimidation Station way back in first season to talk about making meringue and also about how to separate eggs. And the Mm -hmm. important thing to keep in mind with meringue is that you don't want any speck of yolk into your whites or they just simply won't mm-hmm. whip up for you uh, likewise you might say hey i'm just gonna i'm gonna save some time and just buy that carton of egg whites that's in the fridge all ready to go and i know from experience that does not work there's oh. some kind of processing that goes into that it's either pasteurization or something else and they will not whip you will just burn out the motor on your KitchenAid. so it's kind of old-fashioned you need to separate the eggs and just
0: make sure the whites are in there Oh, okay, good tip. Thanks for letting us know about that. I've never bought those egg whites in the refrigerator section, Mm -hmm. but that's really good to know. Yeah, you'd think you're doing a time saver and end up taking more time and wasting things. It's
1: very frustrating, exactly. So, well, remember, we'll have a link to both of those recipes. That was the classic peach pie from Smitten Kitchen, and then this week's Bake Along, which is the tray-baked berry, plum meringue from Waitrose. We will put those up on our website which
0: is preheatedpodcast.com and we'll also have them on our Facebook pages. Stefan let's saunter on over to the language lab where we've previously explained such complex words as coupé and lamination <laughs> <laughs> but since it's stone fruit month our thoughts are turning to sugar and that's where a new term comes in and that is called the Brix scale. This is so exciting. It almost sounds like something my kids would use to build some Lego towers. (laughs) Yeah, not those kind of bricks. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, Um, this is BRICS, B-R-I-X, and it's a scale that measures the concentration of sucrose by percent mass in a liquid. Mm. Now, if you're like me, and it's been a while since you were in a science lab, that might not mean anything to you. So when you're eating or baking with stone fruit, is very helpful because basically what the brick scale does is tell you how much sugar is in the fruit. Cool. Let's learn more. Let me back up a little bit and tell you why I ran across this term. So when um, I was sourcing, sourcing peaches for our peach pie, I definitely wanted to get local peaches. And I started going around the different markets in town. And I had posted on my Facebook to say, hey, who has good peaches right now? And I was only buying peaches that were labeled as being grown locally. Okay. So the first batch that I got were called Edelson peaches, mm-hmm. and I noticed that they often had something on the label that said something like best for canning, okay. and that got me thinking, well, let's see, if they're best for canning, does that mean they're good for canning but not for baking? So the Edelson peaches were really good when I ate them fresh, but I didn't know how that would translate into a good baking peach.
1: Yeah, I mean, now that you say that when I'm baking apple pie, I usually use a variety of both eating apples and baking apples because I like that combination. So it makes sense you would want to do that with other fruit pies. And, you know, we just talked about with the, the eggs, but also we recently discovered the variations of blueberries before we did our pies and Proseccos class last July.
0: That's right. Um, And that's kind of when I ran across this whole brick scale and what's called the degrees bricks measurement. So my local grocery store, that's a Hagen chain, they were bragging about their peaches, which were called Pence peaches. And these come from an orchard over in Wapato, Washington. And the sign at my grocery store said, Pence peaches are only brought to our stores once their sugar content reaches at least thirteen percent on the brick scale, I and know. that yeah. So that's where I got curious, and I looked up the brick scale, and um, that's where I got that line I read earlier about you know concentration of sucrose by percent mass in a liquid. Believe me, brick scale is not for the faint of heart. It is very sciencey. So I will summarize it here to say, if you have a high bricks, that is uh, your degree of sweetness or your Proof of sweetness.
1: Okay, got it. So does that mean that 13 degrees bricks is
0: the highest on the scale? Um, actually, no. So okay. it it looks like there is a brick scale for each type of fruit. Oh. So for peaches, there might be a different sort of brick scale or indicator. Um, and in fact, many farmers will even go further and set bricks levels for their variety of the fruit. So okay. maybe the Pence peaches have a certain brick scale, but the Edelson peaches might have a different brick scale. Okay. When I was shopping at my Hagen, they had a chart, and um, it said seven to ten degrees bricks was the low end, and they had labeled as not properly ripened, not recommended. And then 17 to 18 degrees bricks was at the high end, and it was labeled delicious to an unbelievable degree. <laughs> so another website I found said that most grocery store peaches are around 11 degrees bricks, while some farmers market varieties can have a bricks number as high as 35 degrees bricks.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, well, I've got to remember that phrase, delicious to an unbelievable degree. I know. <laughs> But I have never noticed the brick scale on my fruit before, and I'm not
0: sure they use it at all here. So am I out of luck? Well, this is where we're going to um, turn from the language lab into the gadget garage. And in my sleuthing, I uncovered something called the Bricks refractometer, which you can use to measure degrees bricks at home. So first of all, I love the name of this gadget. It reminds me of all the things I wanted to invent when I was a kid that usually ended in something-o-meter. And- (laughs) Um, secondly it is pretty easy to find I saw them on Amazon they're under 20 bucks it looks like they measure fruit from 0 to 32 degrees bricks
1: and so what does it look like? Is it like a probe you stick into the fruit? Is it like a little gun you
0: shoot at it? What what kind of, yeah, it, what does it look it like? It looked like a probe. Okay. Yeah, it looked like a probe. Um, and it looks like it's also something that's used very heavily in beer making. Oh. And of course, you know, that home brewing movement is so strong here in the Pacific Northwest. There's probably, um, for people in this neck of the woods, I would guess kind of your local brewery store where you buy your home brew equipment might have one as well. I don't know if the one you use for brewing is the same as the one you would use for fruit when I saw it on Amazon I I saw it specifically labeled as for fruit so I obviously that's the one I would get if I was going to get one but I've never seen one in person yeah that's so exciting and I now know what to use the next time I've got a kid with a science project oh yeah science (laughs) fair refractometer (laughs) oh that is probably the way to say it the refractometer instead
1: of the refractometer
0: I've watched (laughs) too many episodes of Wow, Wow, Wubsy, apparently. There you go. Um, Well, listeners, let us know if you've ever used a Brix refractometer and if it works. And thanks for joining us on this little scientific jaunt today.
1: Well, Andrea, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we'll review our tray-baked plum meringue and introduce an apricot, peach, and blackberry crumble to take advantage of the last of summer's bounty. Then we'll fill you in on some of the best new fall cookbooks, from Otolenghi to Reese Witherspoon. Which ones (laughs) top our must-buy list? Thanks as always to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie on iTunes and Amazon and on annemarierussell.com. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like our show, please tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.